Today's reading is taken from Exodus chapter 4, verse 27 to chapter 6, verse 1. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the desert to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told everything the Lord had told him to say, and also about all the miraculous signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshipped. Chapter 5. Bricks Without Straw Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and the foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the foremen went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw, and wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. The Israelite foremen appointed by the Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten and were asked, Why didn't you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or today, as before? Then the Israelite foremen went and appealed to Pharaoh, Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, Make bricks! Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, Lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite foremen realized they were in trouble when they were told, You are not to reduce the number of bricks required of of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, May the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to the Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. God promises deliverance. 
Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Chapter 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jenny. Um, if you can have your Bibles open to chapter 4, 27 and on, um, I'm sure it'll help you as we go through it. Um, but also, I just forgot to make a, one announcement. There will be a Seder dinner this coming Easter time on the Holy Week on Thursday, Monday, Thursday. Instead of having the foot washing service, which we love, and we'll do it again next year, but this year we want to do a Seder dinner together. So Seder dinner, if you don't know, it's a Passover dinner together. It's a Jewish dinner that looks that, that people are commanded to do to remember what God had done uh, in delivering people out of Egypt. Uh, it's a very children-friendly dinner as well. Um, so once again, if you want to sign up, do check out uh, the, the link on the website um, or the app um, and sign up. There, I, I think we can only take 60 people, actually, so do sign up um, today. But as we come to this text, let's pray that God will speak to us. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks for these words. We thank you that these words are recorded for us, for us to come to know you and to trust you and to love you. And we pray that these words will come alive as we come to it. In Christ's name, amen. I don't know about you, but that God does miracles doesn't surprise me that much. In some ways, when people become Christian, when people are healed, uh, when God uses even evil for his own good purpose, uh, when God does miraculous things, well, this is what God is supposed to do. This is what God does. What takes me aback time to time is how persistent, persistent evil is in this world. God exists, but evil keeps on going, doesn't it? Uh, There are diseases and disasters. If God can do miracles, why doesn't he do more? If God can heal, why doesn't he heal more? If God can stop wars, why are there still so many? And I think maybe that's what Moses felt in our reading today, because God clearly showed himself. But actually, things go from bad to worse, not better. Evil seems to win in our chapter. In fact, the reading from last couple of, uh, uh, couple of weeks were really extraordinary times in the history of humankind. After 430 years of God's silence, chapter 2, remember, it ended with God hearing, God looking, God remembering, and God knowing, and God acting And then he appears in chapter 3 in the burning bush, or rather not burning bush. God then reveals his name. I am what I am. I am who I am, Yahweh. And then he tells Moses then to go to Egypt to deliver the, 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 the Israelites out of Egypt. That the time has come for them to be freed from slavery. 
Something exciting is happening. So when Aaron and Moses go to Egypt and to speak to the elders, and that, this was what happened. This was their reaction. Take a look. In chapter 4, verse 31, they believed. They believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed and worshipped. They believed and they worshipped God. And you can feel the hope rising, can't you? Their eyes twinkling with confidence and, 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 and expectation that this is the time that God will fulfill the covenant made to Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, that they will have a land of their own, they will have homes, they will have fields, that their slavery will end because this is the time when God will act. So Moses and Aaron went to Egypt and spoke boldly in a way that many prophets afterwards will uh, echo in chapter 5, verse 1. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Well, as NIV puts it, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. But I think I like the older translation because I think that was the authority with which that, that they spoke. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. And with that authority, he spoke. And I'm sure that he thought that uh, Pharaoh would obey. Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But then the story takes a different turn from here. To be sure, this question itself was asking much less than what God actually wanted, right? The, uh, for Pharaoh to let them go permanently, that was the, what God wanted. But back in chapter 3... Verse 18, God told Moses and the elders to make Pharaoh this offer, to let them go just for three days to worship him. The point was that this is a reasonable request. This is a doable request. That they could, he could let them go. But listen to his words in chapter 4, uh, chapter 5, verse 2. Who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Who is Yahweh, he says. I've never heard of him. Why should I obey him? After all, Pharaoh himself believed that he was a god. He was son of Re, the, the, the sun god, the highest god in Egypt. Why should he listen to God of slaves? Why should he listen to Yahweh that he's never heard of? So he rejects that offer. Not only that. He then punishes Israel for, for making that, that, that uh, for asking, by taking uh, the straw away from them. I don't know much about masonry, but I know that you need straw. You need fire to uh, harden the clay into bricks. How are they supposed to make bricks without straws? They have to take this additional task on without getting the quota lessened. Uh, it was a hard slave labor to begin with that just got harder. Then Pharaoh accuses Moses and Aaron, and therefore God, that they are liars, in verse 9. So the Jewish foremen protest to their slave drivers at this unreasonable request, in verse 14. And this is what they get. They're beaten. And when they cried out to Pharaoh, he says in verse 17, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. 
I think this is a little bit of how, how they must have felt. Let me, let me see if I can do this quickly. This was day before, and this is what they are now. <laughs> They're just, all their hope and confidence is just taken out of them. And where did they go wrong? Did Moses do something wrong? Did Aaron do something wrong? Did Israel disobey God or something? Where did it go wrong? Why is this happening? And actually, the problem is that there, no one does anything wrong. They do exactly what God had told them to do. Moses, Aaron, Israelites, and the elders of Israel, they all do the right thing. But then, actually, things take a wrong turn. Well, sometimes that's how it is. We see this again and again in the Bible, don't we? That God, doing God's will doesn't necessarily mean that things will be comfortable, that things will be good, things will be smooth sailing from then on. Sometimes it's the opposite because evil will persist. Evil keeps on going, opposing God's will again and again. We're taken aback time to time. How bad things keep on happening to good people, to Christians, to God's people. Because we often tell ourselves that if I am doing God's will, then things will be okay for me. That things should get easier for me, for my health, for my career, for my family, for my uh, whatever it is. If God is with me, then I'll be freed from suffering. In fact, isn't this why we sometimes try to find God's will? We pray to, uh, for God to reveal His will for me, for us, because we think that if we are in God's will, then actually my life will be good. It will be freed from suffering. It will be freed from hardship. Isn't that why we sometimes pray for God to reveal His will for me? But actually... This is not true. Sometimes, even in the thick of God's will, you will suffer. Evil will persist. God does demonstrate his power, as we will see later. God will deliver his people from the suffering later on. But suffering itself is not a mark of not being in God's will, not being a Christian. In fact, Paul in 2 Corinthians, I'm sure you know, he says because he suffers, Because he suffered like Christ, he's an apostle. That proves his apostleship because he suffers in the way of the cross. This is because the world is filled with the evil that opposes God. You know, Pharaoh will oppose God. Pharaoh opposes God in this chapter. But what's surprising to me more, even more, is what's coming in the next chapters. He opposes God through ten plagues. He opposes God even to the very end, even after his son dies, even after the firstborn of everything in Egypt, the people and the livestock, they all die. He still opposes God. Well, he gets changes his mind for one second, and then he will organize his chariots again and, and go after into the Red Sea. He will oppose God to the, to the very moment of God's delivering Israel out of Egypt. And it's the same in the New Testament. People kill Jesus. Evil seems to reign. Jesus predicted that it will not get easier for his followers. The book of Revelation is filled with uh, depictions of unspeakable suffering until the very moment Jesus comes back. Do we know this? Or are we surprised? again and again, by the suffering that we go through. 
if things go from bad to worse, well, sometimes that is part of God's will. This is what it, uh, this is. Uh, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean doing God's will doesn't mean that we will be freed from suffering. And when these things happen, though, you might lose your faith. You might doubt God, God's sovereignty, and God's goodness. And that's what happens in this story. Remember the Israelites at the end of chapter 4. Once again, they believed, they bowed their heads and worshipped God. But then that turns quickly. That faith goes away. Look how angry people are at Moses at the end of chapter 5, verse 21. The Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. They're angry. Add Moses and take a look at why. It's, it's, I mean, isn't it, isn't it interesting that they actually don't blame God? They blame Moses because they cannot possibly imagine that God could have done this to them. And so they think, surely you did something wrong. Surely God will judge you for what you have done. But Moses knows he didn't do anything wrong, so he turns to God himself in verse 22. Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why, is this why you sent me? Or more literally, as ESV puts it, O Lord, O Yahweh, why have you done evil to this people? Why have you done evil? He casts doubt on God's goodness. He then questions his intentions. Is this why you brought me? Is this why you brought me? He seems not even sure if God can do it. God can deliver. This is how that chapter ends in chapter 5. You have not delivered your people at all. You did not rescue. He's not sure if God can do it. I don't know about you, but I am amazed that Moses is allowed to talk to God like this. Could you imagine talking to your wife this way? How about to President Xi Jinping? You've done evil. You're incompetent. I don't think you can do this. But we talk to God like this all the time, don't we? I've done the same. My cousin died. I mean, you know about my cousin time to time. I mentioned him. I, I doubted whether God existed at all. I remember praying to God like just like this. If you exist, how could you do this? Show yourself to me because I don't even know if you do exist. If you are good, then you can't possibly have allowed this to happen. Or if you allowed this, if you allowed this to happen, it must mean that you're not good. Or it must mean that you're not powerful, you're not sovereign. But what followed me? What followed Moses? Warned fire and brimstone of judgment. God so patient with Moses. And God allows him to speak to him in this way. We saw it once before in chapter 3, didn't we, in last week's reading, where Moses says he can't go because he's not good at speaking. And God says to him, I made your mouth, I can make you speak. And then for no reason at all, he says, no, 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 please send somebody else. And God says in chapter 3, verse 14, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And you think something terrible is going to happen to Moses. But then he says, I'll send Aaron with you. This is the amazing truth that we learn through these stories, that we're not reduced to nothing in the greatness of God's presence. 
The God who created the universe affirms our being, our existence, and our feelings. God treats us as, as a people who are in relationship with him. People who are allowed to express their sadness and doubt and even anger at him, even against him. And it's not just Moses who does this. Time and again, character, characters in the Bible talk to God in this way, don't they? Job protests against God at the injustice that he's faced. There are so many psalms of lament. Actually, psalms of, psalm of lament, the psalm of this protest and sadness is the biggest category in the book of psalms. In fact, when you don't have words to express your anger and frustrations, just read Psalm 13. Just read Psalm 137. God has given you words with which you can protest against God. We don't have to be afraid of expressing our sadness and doubt or even anger to God. It's okay to lament. It's okay to protest because God knows evil is evil. On one level, it's not the way it's supposed to be. And he knows that you are suffering. And he didn't create robots, but a people that a people who's created in his image to be in relationship to him. And many times, when we speak to God in this way, sometimes we're drawn closer to him. In anger, we can affirm. It's speaking to God in our anger can affirm our relationship with him. Eli Weasel, um, while reflecting on his uh, experience at the concentration camp, he at one point said that he, uh, that, that, that he doubted God's goodness. And he wrote, I've not lost faith in God, but I have, moments of, I have moments of anger and protest. Sometimes I've been closer to him for that reason. We're drawn closer to him in our protest, aren't we? Because we realize that God treats us as people who are in relationship with him. God lets us speak to him in this way and draws us closer to him, even through our protest. But you should also know that God did respond to Moses, to Job, and to others who have lamented and cried out. And we ought to learn from that. And that's why this is written, so that we can learn about God and who he is and what kind of a God that he is. Because he's done all these things for his own purpose, for his own reasons. Even this, chapter 5, even when it goes from worse to worst, but it was by God's design. Remember what Pharaoh asked, Who is Yahweh that I should obey him? At this point, Pharaoh didn't know who Yahweh God was. In fact, outside of some stories that are passed on through generations, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so on, actually people, Israelites, didn't know who God was. So God planned these events so Pharaoh would recognize who Yahweh is. God had planned these events so that Israelites could see who Yahweh is. And these things are recorded then for us so that we might know who Yahweh God is that we might come to know him. So that, that, take a look at how chapter 6, verse 1 starts. Right? This is God's response to Moses. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. 
Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. All these were planned so that Pharaoh, the Israelites, even we reading these things would come to know him and what he can do. And that's the only way that we can have a relationship with God. If God reveals himself by his words and by his acts, think about all the things that we learn about God from this chapter. We learn that God is just. Because we see through the story that Pharaoh deserves punishment. It's not that God just takes Pharaoh and, and punishes him for no reason. We see the wickedness of his heart in this chapter, don't we? Not only has he enslaved God's people in this reasonable request, sort of lowball offer, he responds in the most malicious way. He takes the straw away. Uh, and he, he makes his, uh, the, the Israelites' lives miserable. He increases the bitter workload. And when, he, when they protest, when they say, this is unfair, we can't do this work, he beats them. And he calls them lazy. What we find out is that when God punishes Pharaoh, Pharaoh deserves it. That God is just. And because of, this, because of this story, we find out how caring and patient God is with his people. When we blame him, accuse him of doing wrong, doing evil, he does not punish. He, 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 does, not go, um, he, 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 he does not go silent. He does not give us a silent treatment. He responds patiently. Because of this story, we find out that God is sovereign, and faithful to his plan. Even as we accuse him of doing wrong, he still carries out his plan because he keeps his promises even when we are not doing our part. And in the coming weeks, we'll find out that he is mighty, that he has power over this world, evil world, that there is no other God. One by one, he will show how he has power over Egyptian gods. That the penalty of our sin is death, but also that he reveals that even as he punishes, he always makes a way for us to be saved. He reveals that he has power over nature, that he punishes evildoers. All, knowing all of this now brings us comfort, doesn't it? When we go through difficult times, when you've lost your job and you, you don't know what's next, you remind yourself that God is sovereign. When you've done everything right, and actually people who do evil seems to prosper, and you are being punished for doing what's right, you remind yourself that God is sovereign, that God will punish the evildoers. When you're afraid of God because you've spoken to God in a very insolent manner, or you're angry with Him, you remind yourself that God is patient with you, that God loves you. That God is kind to you. You see, God does all of these things so that we might come to know him and be in relationship with him. So that we might come to trust him and love him. The most amazing thing about all of this is that we, sitting here in Shatin Church 2,000 years, uh, 3,000 years later, know God much better in some ways than Moses did because of Jesus. Because Jesus was the fullness of God's revelation to us, and we find out that through him, that God loved us enough to send his son to die for us. Because of Jesus, um, we find out that if we trust him, 
that death, even death, even, even death cannot ha- have his grip on us. We find out um, that, that we will rise from the dead because of Jesus. We know that God can use the most evil, the vilest thing to accomplish his own purpose. And because of his resurrection, we know that all evildoers will be punished ultimately when he comes back as the judge. But sometimes we will be overcome by evilness of the world and the suffering of this world and what might accuse God and say, you have not delivered your people at all. But God will patiently listen to you. But I hope then you will be drawn into a closer relationship with him. And I pray that you, you will remember these stories of Exodus, these stories of greatness of God's salvation and his power, and the stories of our great rescue from evil, sin, and death. And know that there is no evil God cannot overcome, no darkness from which he cannot deliver. And even death, even death cannot hold us who are in Christ Jesus. He will deliver. Let's pray. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks for this passage that shows us how loved we are. That shows us even as things go wrong, Lord, that you are in control. That your plan is being carried out. That ultimately you will deliver your people. But Lord, we pray for those who are suffering now. That you will lift their eyes up to this truth. That you will be in the midst of their lives and remind them of the greatness of our salvation and the greatness of this revelation. We pray for those who are doing fine right now that you will inject us with these truths, that if we ever come across the evilness of this world, that we will remind ourselves that you are still sovereign, that you will deliver. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.